All right. Today is, as we just announced, Mother's Day. So I want to begin by saying Happy Mother's Day to all of the moms who are here, all the moms that are watching online. Mother's Day is such a special day. I'm going to be leaving uh, right after the service to go and uh, spend the rest of the day with my mom. Uh, I'm grateful grateful to have a mother who has demonstrated grace to me and gentleness. It's such a blessing. For some, um, Mother's Day may be a difficult day, one that brings sorrow for loss or sorrow for hurts experienced. I want to acknowledge that. I'm praying that you'll be encouraged today. Really, this whole sermon is going to be a happy Mother's Day, not just the intro. And so to that, I want to say a couple of things, because you might be tempted to think, well, I'm not a mother, so I don't feel like this message is for me, or I'm never going to be a mother, and so I don't feel like this message is for me. And I want to respond to that. First, by saying this, you may not be a mother, you may never be a mother, but you are a sister or a brother in Christ. And you have sisters who are mothers, and as a brother or sister to them, your desire should be to encourage and build them up in love. We are a gospel community a community of people shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, as our, our value of gospel community says, Jesus told His disciples in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. As people deeply loved by God and adopted into His family, we commit ourselves to engaging with one another with purposeful love that reflects the costly, sacrificial love that God showed us when Jesus died for our sins. We do so by joyfully serving one another, sharing our resources with one another as needs arise, actively using our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body, showing hospitality to one another, as well as those outside the church, and ultimately choosing to have the same humility of mind as Christ as described in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, considering others better than ourselves. Now, I want to read that again purposefully as it relates to today, and specifically if you struggle with maybe thinking this sermon isn't for me. If you're a brother or sister in Christ, it's for you, because Jesus told His disciples in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for moms. As people deeply loved by God and adopted into His family, we commit ourselves to engaging with moms with purposeful love that reflects the costly, sacrificial love that God showed us when Jesus died for our sins. We do so by joyfully serving moms, sharing our resources with one another as needs arise, actively using our spiritual gifts for the building up of the body, showing hospitality to moms as well as those outside the church, and ultimately choosing to have the same humility of mind as Christ as described in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, considering moms better than ourselves. Not only that, but as a body, we also value missions. And we value it as a whole church. 
And that doesn't mean we all go to specific mission fields as missionaries there. But we value it, so we pray and we support those who go to those places. And the message today is the mission of motherhood. I believe that Scripture teaches us that motherhood is a mission field. That, motherhoods have been, that mothers have been blessed with the gift of missions and the call to missions. That it's purposeful and God brings redemption through it. And so that may not be your mission field, but we value missions. And we value mission fields. And so we want to listen and grow to better pray and support those who are serving in various mission fields. And so today we're going to be looking at one verse from Galatians. We'll look at some other texts as well. I'm grateful again for how the Lord works out the timing of our text. And I'd like to read just that verse from the ERV, okay? So I read it from that last week. Um, I'd like to do that this week as, it, as we approach it today. And then we'll look at some other texts to assist us as we go. So you don't need to turn there necessarily. You can listen at this point. But go ahead and stand because we're reading God's Word, even if it's just one verse. But Galatians 4.19 says this, My little children, I am in pain again over you like a mother giving birth. I will feel this pain until people can look at you and see Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Lord, that is our desire. Specifically, as we think of our children, our desire is that people would look at them and see Christ. And so even as we talk about motherhood today and the mission of motherhood, Lord, would you help us to be people who surround mothers, who pray for mothers, who encourage mothers, who build up mothers, and those who are mothers, Lord, that you would fill them with your spirit and use them to display the gospel, to point their children to Jesus. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Go and have a seat. Well, in Galatians here, as we mentioned last week, Paul's giving a description about his concern for the Galatians, for the people of Galatia. He is, uh, he says, like a mother giving birth. He feels this very real pain, this anguish, this suffering with an earnest desire to see Christ formed in them. And that's where I want us to dwell today as it relates to moms. I believe this is the joy and blessing of motherhood, the mission of motherhood. So moms, I want to say something to you kind of at the beginning of this. I'm so thankful for you. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I am thankful for you. You're a blessing to your children for sure, but you're also a blessing to me. Your blessing to others who are watching and seeing you, mother. Many of us will never know the pains and burdens that you carry on a daily basis for your children. And I want to encourage you to allow those burdens and those joys to be aimed in a missional 
direction. It is a direct blessing God has given to you, entrusted to you, a calling, something He has called you and equipped you to do. That doesn't necessarily or always mean preaching the gospel. You look around this room and you have different people and specifically different mothers with different giftings. That's biblical. You look at 1 Corinthians 12, you look at Romans chapter 12, you look at the text where where God gifts people differently. That's true of mothers as well. So some of you mothers are going to be gifted with more knowledge than other moms. Some of you are going to be gifted with more grace than other moms. Some of you are going to be gifted with more wisdom than other moms. And that's good. Paul says to the the Corinthians, there's a manifestation of the Spirit. There are differing gifts within the body. That doesn't mean we, 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 we make excuses and we don't seek to always display the fullness of the picture of Jesus as best we can by the Spirit. But as a mom, it doesn't necessarily or always mean the ability to clearly articulate the gospel and apply it to every situation. Some of you here are amazing at that. But that's not always necessary. My mother was the very best at demonstrating to me and my siblings the qualities of the kingdom of God. The characteristics that are formed by the gospel. A picture of grace. A picture of love. A picture of patience. A picture of peace. I hope to encourage you in this today. I want to make clear that I'm so proud of you. It was three years ago that I preached a sermon that you watched at home that was titled, You're a Good Mom. And for weeks, I have longed to just re-preach that sermon, to say it to you face to face. I'm not doing that, obviously, but I do want to say it. You're a good mom. I want to encourage you. It's a blessing to see you strive to fulfill the wonderful calling the Lord has entrusted you with. It's a joy for me and for many. And if you haven't heard it in a while, you're a good mom. We're going to look at a couple of examples in Scripture to help us in this today. And so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. It says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Now, this is Paul writing to Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I find this incredibly encouraging. And moms, I hope you do as well. This is Timothy, Paul's young protege. Let's consider the faith of Timothy, okay? The faith that Paul speaks of here and says that it is a sincere faith. 
Timothy was from the town of Lystra. Paul calls him to follow him in Acts 16. So, I want to look at that together. Go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. It says this, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Now, it says here that... um, Timothy was already a disciple of Jesus. He lived there with his mother and his father. His mother was a Jewish woman who believed in Jesus, was a follower of Jesus. His father, it says, was Greek. Something about Timothy's faith was recognized by others in Lystra and Iconium. Because it says that he was well spoken of there. And so, Paul asks Timothy to join him on his journey. Now, there are a couple of things that are significant about this. First, when we read that his mother was a Jew and she believed in Jesus, that's important. Because we can read that through the lens then of 2 Timothy 1. She and her mother also loved Jesus. They had sincere relationships with Jesus, and in their love for Jesus and their love for Timothy, their son and grandson, they taught him. They instructed him. They trained him in the truth about Yahweh, and then at some point, believing in Jesus as the fulfillment of the law, they taught him in that as well. But also something that has always amazed and encouraged me is remembering that this isn't the first time that Paul is in Lystra. This is not his first stop in Lystra. Paul's first stop there is in Acts 14. So go ahead and turn a couple of pages back in Acts 14, beginning with verse 8. I'm going to read all the way through verse 23. Acts 14, beginning with verse 8. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? 
We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet He did not leave Himself without witness, for He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to, to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now consider this story. First of all, Paul does this great miracle. He heals this man who could not walk. He stands up before everyone. And instead of people just falling on their faces and worshiping the Lord God, there's confusion, it says. Confusion about what had actually happened and credit being given to different gods. And so, Paul goes through and explains the truth of what has happened and the truth of Jesus. But then, Jewish leaders stir up the crowd and they stone Paul. This is a bad scene. They stone him, and they think they have killed him. That is how badly he is injured. They drag his body out of the city, and it's lying there, and they think he's dead. But he gets up, and Paul walks back into the city where this has just happened to him. It's amazing. It's, an, it's amazing, the faith that we see there. But there's more to the story than just Paul. Now, moms and grandmothers notice this. In the midst of the confusion, Timothy is not led astray. And we can assume from what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1 that it is Lois and Eunice that have something to do with that. It's his mother and his grandmother who have something to do with this foundation of faith that keeps him faithful in the midst of the confusion that takes place there. They have faithfully guided Timothy. But also, notice what it says in Acts 14 happened after Paul was stoned and is laying there, presumably dead. 
it's not just that he got up. It says that the disciples gathered around him, and then he got up. The disciples gathered around him. Well, who are the disciples in Lystra? We know three names. Timothy, Lois, and Eunice. Certainly there were more, but those are the names we know. And the next time that we hear of Paul going to Lystra, the next time we hear about these three individuals encountering Paul, Timothy, Lois, and Eunice, Paul says to Timothy, I want you to follow me. I want you to go with me. Now, let's think through the difficulty of that, moms, grandmas, your boy, your grandson, maybe your daughter, your granddaughter, but specifically here in the text, your son asked to follow the man who keeps getting beaten, who keeps getting arrested, who was stoned before your very eyes for doing what he's asking you to do. That's not something you just say yes to unless first you have surrendered your will to Jesus' will. And second, that you've prepared yourself and your child for such a calling. Don't miss the beauty of the mission of motherhood in the story of Timothy following Paul after he has seen Paul stoned. When Paul says in 2 Timothy that Lois and Eunice have had sincere faith, we ought to apply that to Acts 14 and Acts 16 and say, yes. These women have influenced Timothy in such a way that he is ready and willing to go with Paul. And that faith has been missional. They've raised a boy who will go now with Paul and be used to write and to pastor, and to evangelize. And so my encouragement to you from 2 Timothy is this, moms, you have a mission. Prepare your children to surrender their will to Jesus. Pray for your words and your actions to do what Eunice and Lois what their words and actions did in the life of Timothy. What an encouragement. What an opportunity that you have as moms. Lois and Eunice are examples for moms who love Jesus, examples of what it means that there is mission in motherhood. There's another example from the Bible that I want us to look at, and that's the first mother in the Bible, Eve. 
Now, let's, let's just be honest here. If I, if I were to um, ask, maybe, maybe not all of us, but if I were to ask many of us, if I were to ask you, what do you think of when you think about Eve, your answer, at least in the top two, would be she disobeyed God and brought sin into the world. And those might be true words, but that does not define Eve biblically. That is not and should not be Eve's legacy or identity. So let's examine her story and see why she's important to the understanding of the mission of motherhood. Eve was created from Adam. Her life is brought about by God uh, from the rib or the side of Adam. And with joy and celebration, as you read the story of uh, creation in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam proclaims in Genesis 2.23, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And Eve, it says, is brought forth as a helper. There was not one suitable, a companion suitable for Adam. And so God grants him, graces him with Eve. Carmen Joy Imes writes that the English word Helper does not do justice to how the Hebrew word Ezer describes Eve's role. Rather than a servant, God produces an ally corresponding to the man who can share his tasks of cultivation and care of the garden. So imagine Adam and Eve in the garden for however long, and we don't know however long there was before the serpent deceived Eve into eating from the tree, and they're, uh, and they're commanded then to to leave the garden. What would that time and season be like? Joy, peace, no shame, no guilt, delighting together in the garden that God had given to them, working together to keep it, picking its fruit, cultivating and caring for the garden caring for the animals in the garden together. But then the reality is, a horrible day comes. The serpent comes, deceives Eve, she eats, Adam does as well, and they're both kicked out of the garden and cursed because of it. Now that is the sad part of the story. That and, and the fact that they're living under the curse for the rest of their days and ours. But there are days remaining for Adam and Eve. They don't physically die. Life changed, but it didn't end. And one of the things that God spoke during the curse of the serpent is hope is a promise, a promise that one will come from the seed of the woman, from Eve, 
and crushed the serpent once and for all. And that's where I want us to dwell mostly as we consider Eve, the mother of all the living, and we consider the mission of motherhood. We have evidence that Eve continued to hope in the Lord. She continued to trust in God, her creator. Why do we have evidence of that? Well, you look at the birth of her son Cain. What does Eve say at the birth of Cain? Genesis 4, 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, that's joyful. But it really isn't helpful at all in the English translation. Because it's not that Eve is just excited that she's having a boy. I was stoked. Every single time it was a boy. I mean, I would have absolutely spoiled a girl like crazy. Unbelievable. Would have been so joyful. I was so excited every time that I found out it was a boy. Shocked the fourth and fifth times? Yes. But so excited. But Eve is not excited because this is a male. Eve's not excited here because it's a boy. It's more as if she's saying something far greater than that. It's not that she's saying, I have gotten a man. It's best understood as Eve proclaiming, I have gotten the man. That this is the fulfillment of what God just promised was going to happen through me. Eve believed God and thought that the deliverer was to come through her, and it was Cain. Now, we know that that wasn't the case. But it shows us that we see the hope that Eve carried out of the garden. That her life continued, and it continued with the hope of God and His promise. Here's the thing, in a story where we tend to view Eve as the source of evil in the world, she sinned first, God writes a better story. His story is one where Eve is not the source of evil, but rather the source of redemption. She is crowned with the honor of bringing redemption into the world. It's through Eve God says that the serpent will be crushed. That redemption will come to this broken world through Eve. If you doubt that, turn to the story of the coming of Jesus and his lineage, who is mentioned, Seth, the replacement of Cain. It's through Eve that redemption comes to this broken world. World. Paul says in Galatians 3 that there's neither male nor female, meaning that there is equality, and Eve is evidence of that. God didn't relegate her to, to some second-class human because she sinned first. He's gracious, and He shows His grace to the one who sinned against Him by saying, through you, 
will come one who will redeem. No matter our thoughts about Eve, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He casts her out of the garden, but blesses her with the gift of hope that will come through Christ, her seed. It's through her offspring that salvation comes. Now, now why do I, I emphasize that? Because I want to encourage you moms. Some of you dwell on your failures. But I want to tell you that God has not cast you out. There is hope for redemption through you. You've been gifted with the mission of motherhood. And no matter what that has looked like in the past, there is hope in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. Hope to see Christ magnified and the gospel displayed through motherhood. Eve has a devastating story in the garden. But it's not the end of her story. There's hope spoken over Eve. Hope that comes to us in the person of Jesus. And I want to encourage you, moms, that you're not alone. You're not alone in this. You think of the moms in this room. The examples that are set. God is using you. God is using you. As I read through the list of moms in our church, it was easy for me to rejoice in ways that each of you display a sincere faith to your children. I'm grateful for all of you. You're good moms. Your children are blessed. And so I want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to the children in this body. Thank you for your faithfulness to the adults in this body as you display Jesus to your children. Christ came to serve. And he did that ultimately by laying down his life for us. And moms, you display that in so many ways through motherhood. You've been granted the gift of missions in motherhood. And even as we prepare to go into a time where we remember Christ and his death and resurrection through the Lord's Supper, we remember how he has given us examples of that kind of selfless sacrifice through the moms that are here. And so as we go into this time, let's go in with gratitude. Christ's body was broken for us. His blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. That's hope. That's hope. That no matter what the mistakes are in our past or even in our future, there's hope in Jesus who has done everything necessary for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's remember that and remember him as we go into this time. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. And I thank you, Lord, specifically today for the moms that are here, moms that you are using to bring about grace 
to bring about redemption. I thank you for the examples you've given us in the scriptures, the hope that we have, the hope that it is for me, Lord, as we consider Eve and her sin, her disobedience, and yet you crown her with the blessing of mission and motherhood. You promise that, that Jesus is coming. You grant her hope, even in walking out of that garden, a feeling that none of us can comprehend, Lord. You still grant her hope. And Lord, I pray for every one of us here, and specifically the moms, I pray that you would help them to see the hope that you have graced and granted to them. As we go into this time where we sing and we Prepare to take the bread and the cup together, Lord. Help us. Help us to remember rightly the body of Jesus broken for us. The blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And be glorified in that. In Christ's name, amen.